And now it's time for the Fiasco Family Movie Night. Welcome to episode 57 of Fiasco Family Movie Night. Wait a minute, we already did this. Welcome to the supplement for episode 57 of Fiasco Family Movie Night. I'm Sean Frost. And I'm Tim Leonard. And here to discuss more about Hudson Hawk is our friend and a previous guest, uh, renowned world traveler and COVID survivor, <laughs> Melissa Kirchner. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me back. It's always a joy. Thank you, gentlemen. Well, you know, once a fiasco sibling, always a fiasco sibling. Actually, I, I should... Esteemed colleagues. There we go. That's, there we go. That's gender neutral. That's much better. I'm esteemed? Esteemed. Very esteemed, Tim. Hot damn. You too, Sean. You're both very uh-huh. esteemed. I used to get esteemed, but... I stopped driving to work, so... Ah! Hey! <laughs> if I could walk that way, I wouldn't need the dancing lessons. <laughs> Cut that out. Cut that bit. We're, we're not... We haven't even started a track, and we're off track. This is Woo-hoo! land speed record. Fiasco! <laughs> so, I am a uh, modifier for chaos. I, I do understand that. I am an enabler. Here we go. <laughs> I, it's also we're we're a couple weeks away from the hell year of 2020 ending as we tape this we're all a little bit punchy i've been trapped in my house since last december i've been trapped in my house for almost a year because i had the great fortune the, the the great foresight of breaking my leg in eight places for it so i was trapped for uh at home for three months before COVID happened. <laughs> Mr. Logistics person is honestly quite impressed. <laughs> Literally the week I started walking again was the week they locked locked down for COVID in March. <laughs> I can't win. I cannot win this year. Uh, I, I hope that doesn't extend to our movie. I don't know. It's kind of fitting. <laughs> Hudson Hawk is... Freaking mess. <laughs> I adore it. I love this movie. It is it's not, not a good, good movie. It's not very good, but I love it. It's terrible, but it's great. <laughs> like I I consider myself a connoisseur of fine crap, and this indeed is fine crap. <laughs> this is some great and, A crap for sure. I hadn't seen it until about two weeks ago because it it super bombed in ninety one. I remember and, that. <laughs> and I am allergic to smarm, so I just didn't really ever want to see it. Oh, this movie is made one hundred percent out of the mountain of cocaine owned by Joel Silver and uh pure hubris i mean this is and ordinarily i go for that <laughs> uh, yeah I, I, 
But I mean, the, it, it's that ingredient of hubris. That's the sort of thing that made the apple what it is. You know, it's that, that oh, certainly I, that Icarus flying too close to the sun and melting and crashing to the earth, horribly <laughs> mangled. <laughs> but even better, even better. Um, well, I will just start out with the way I was introduced to this movie. I was living with two roommates uh in the mid 90s in this little uh it wasn't an apartment it was a townhome or something but we had hbo and we had a pirate box so we we weren't paying for hbo we just had hbo (laughs) and so we were we were you know flipping through the channels flipping through the channels and uh when we were all bored and sitting in the same room you know one of the other things the pirate box brought in was the spice channel which was the like softcore porn 24 7 but it wouldn't come in clearly uh so it kind of come in fuzzy and so we flip 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 and then right before we got to the spice channel we'd say fake or real and everybody placed their bets and then we'd flip to the channel and see if the breasts were real but then (laughs) and then flip past but we we landed on one of the pay channels uh not the spice channel thankfully and Here's Andy McDowell and Bruce Willis talking in an underground cavern, and Andy McDowell walks up to a crucifix, and she goes, Father, I feel like he has other designs against me, or whatever it is. And the the freaking crucifix lights up. It's like, come upstairs right away. (laughs) And we said, oh, we're watching this. This is amazing. (laughs) It was love at first sight with this movie. It really was. That is a brilliant, brilliant bit to walk in on. There are so many things that are so stupid and so brilliant. The the, the crucif- talking crucifix is legitimately brilliant. The curare dart thing is stupid and brilliant. Oh, I, the- I actually really liked all of, like, everyone really commits to the you can only move your head and then you must flop around yes. for the curare darts. <laughs> Uh, big props to Andy McDowell impersonating a dolphin. Yes. I, I, I feel like that's a thing, like a party trick that she had and somebody learned about it uh, at, you know, after, after shooting one night and they go, we have got to put this in the movie. You know, <laughs> I never asked. Uh, I, I knew a person who was in uh, uh, user design and uh-huh. she would always refer to technical jargon as dolphin speak. <laughs> and say that when she hears us talking, it just sounded like ee, 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 ee. And I could I I never connected that maybe she's seen this movie. <laughs> that would it be, could really be awesome. Although that, that, that sounds a, quest. or the aliens from Mars Attacks. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> or maybe it's that talking dolphin from Sequest. Yeah, oh, what the, what's the name of the do- Darwin? Darwin, it? Darwin the dolphin. That's right. Why do I know that? You know, you'd think I'd see that. <laughs> I'd have seen that. Being a gigantic fan of Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, and that being and a Roy Scheider, and yet you have not. <laughs> right? You'd think. What the hell, dude? There are gaps. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, again, I hadn't seen this until about two weeks ago. I, There's only so much you can go, so much media you can consume. And I was probably rewatching Streets of Fire or The Martian. <laughs> it's true. I mean, 
you can't, like you said, there's there's only so much you can consume, and you have to leave some of th- those classic morsels to be eaten later. <laughs> and so I am glad you have finally arrived to the Hudson Hawk party, Tim. I am so glad you're here. I'm, I'm so glad you understand this damaged part of my brain where I absolutely adore this movie. If, if you don't have some utterly indefensible movie you love, I honestly don't understand you. Well, it means you have no joy in your life. Well, right? I don't have any joy in my life anyway, not during the hell year of 2020. But well, I can go on does. about the apple for about six days. Well, yeah, me too. You know that. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like Hudson Hawk has a lot in common with the Apple. It's that like that same level of hubris and that same level of boy, this must have looked like some sort of great idea on paper, but boy, it really didn't work in execution. No. Um I think the Apple is much more focused. And how often do I get to say that? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, you know, the Apple well, is actually more even throughout. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it starts out at batshit and it stays there. <laughs> the, the thing, okay, so I am a mega fan. Well, maybe not a mega fan, a super fan, a super fan of Richard E. Grant. I adore Richard E. Grant. Yes. I, uh, ever since I started seeing him pop up and stuff, he's. I'm like, he's one of my favorite character actors. I, every time he shows up, I'm like, yay, and I clap a little bit. Um, it turns out. Richard E. Grant is also uh, a decent little Hollywood writer. I mean, he he's he started out life as a big film fan and then went into acting. And so he started his acting career as also being just a mega fan of movies. And ever since he started in the um, film world, he kept meticulous diaries about everything that was going on on every set day to day so one of his uh film diary publications i think he has more out now but uh, the first one he put out was uh this book called with nails which is a reference to his first movie with nail and i which oh, is also great sure a wonderful movie it has uh so many doctor who and harry potter links with a cast of only like four people it's great <laughs> um yeah, but it's um his book with nails uh, pretty much covers his film career from the 1980s through the end of the 1990s ish. Like uh, through, I think the last movie he covers in the book is Preta Porter, which he made with uh, Altman. Oh, right, right. Mm-hmm. But there is a glorious chapter, an entire chapter on Hudson Hawk. Oh my God. In this book. And it's amazing. <laughs> and uh, if you would indulge me, I would like to do a reading. Oh, please. Please Of Richard E. Grant. um, Because I feel like this is also a great introduction just to Hudson Hawk. (laughs) (laughs) This is the opening couple of paragraphs from his chapter about Hudson Hawk. 21st of March. Oh, my sweet darlings, where, oh, where do I dare begin to tell this multi-million dollar epic? Which, as defined by the Oxford Dictionary, means... A long poem in elevated style narrating the adventures of a hero. Long novel or film. One containing adventurous episodes. Heroic, majestic, impressively great. Hudson Hawk is all of these things, but not quite in the order suggested. Long? Certainly. 
Heroic? Ooh, yes, but not quite what you have in mind. <laughs> the patience required would sorely test the most Olympian devotees of Prozac. Majestic? The mega-budget spirals like new stairways into heaven. Adventurous? With a cast including Bruce Willis, Andy McDowell, Danny Aiello, James Coburn, Sandra Bernhard, and myself? What else could you expect? <laughs> In keeping with this ancient aspect, be warned that this modern day tale is bereft of any poetry and is pure doggerel. And there you have it. I mean, that's a yeah. ringing endorsement if ever I've heard one. <laughs> it's wonderful. And, and Richard, I reckon if you are any sort of Hollywood nerd, um, I recommend reading with nails because he's very... Um, He's very frank about what has gone on. He's he's not sparing anybody. He's very kind of cutting in what he says about people. And uh, I, I think he got in a little bit of hot water after publishing it sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Off to movie jail with you, Richard. Off to movie jail. So this isn't like when George Kennedy decided to become a mystery writer. This is No, like... although I do have one of those books on my shelves, too, to read. Um, <laughs> but I there, have... Both I, of them. <laughs> but there's... <laughs> They're just wonderful chapters about, um, well, I, I believe in your previous recording, you had uh, mentioned L.A. Story. He talks about making L.A. Story with uh, L.A. Stories with um, Steve Martin and what it was like to work with Steve Martin. And just all, he captures the personalities of all the people he works with, with just stunning degree. Um, but one of the great things about the Hudson Hawk uh, chapter is this was a movie where he met Sandra Bernhard and he and Sandra Bernhard are like besties they absolutely adore each other you know they met on this film and they like instantly bonded and <laughs> you can tell in his writing that he absolutely adores this woman <laughs> um, there there is this um, there's another passage I'll read and then I'll be done with the readings um Sandra Bernhard is having her makeup applied when we meet, and is about to be transformed into something awesome. Her auburn hair has been teased up into a frenzy, until it resembles one of those ice cream whirls that whip out of the machine into a cone. Her eyes crane to their right corners as she cannot turn her head just yet, and she twangs, Hi, honey! <laughs> she has an instantly discernible trademark sigh which insinuates itself through a speech and loping walk as if everything is slightly exhausting and demanding, and that whatever she is doing now is somehow keeping her from doing something that she would rather do. Whether it be hair rollers, mascara, the freeway, photo sessions, Reagan, Haiti, Madonna questions, global warming, it's all a bit too much to handle. All of which is what makes her funny. She takes everything personally, and while professing to loathe the whole Hollywood thing, I do not doubt for a moment that she is reveling amidst her own moanings. She is perfect casting to play Minerva Mayflower, the world's richest, most evil bitch villainess. While the manicurist is doing her nails, she entertains us with stories of her humiliations and hilarities when she was struggling, uh, when she was a struggling comedian doing Beverly Hills nails to pay her rent. She demands everyone's total attention, and I can feel myself inexorably drawn into her orbit. Her ne neck choked with ropes of pearls, gold starfish earrings drooping down her lobes, hair sculpted in waves, and body swathed in a multicolored wrap. She rises ready for the first Polaroid test shot. 
looking like a tall version of Hermione Gingold, mouth permanently set in a full lip sneer that dares anyone to dare to lip back. When she cackles, her eyes disappear into slits, and her two gapped front teeth come at you like a 3D film without the glasses. <laughs> wow. <laughs> right? She's so over the top in this film that... I didn't even realize until Tim pointed it out to me that he's also chewing the scenery. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're well, they're both just being egged on. It's like who can be bigger? <laughs> and, and apparently, you know, they were both hamming it up, and then um, they they kept getting egged on by people on the set. And it's like, no, this is great. This is really funny. Okay, we'll do more. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh, apparently, like, one of the first scenes that Richard E. Grant shot was um, where he's in the limousine with the paper shredder, which is a gag I love, by the way. <laughs> he, he receives the fax and just instantly puts it in the shredder, and the shredder vents outside the cab, outside the limousine. Yeah, it's got a special, like, confetti tailpipe to it. Yeah, it? it's amazing. But, uh, but yeah, he he's keeps getting told, do more and more and more. He's like... But I wouldn't have anywhere to go in the later scenes. What the hell do you want me to do? <laughs> so that's kind of where the... I mean, you could just tell they're having a ball on the set together. They are just having a grand time. Just, But one of the best things... I reread this chapter last, last night because I love you guys and I wanted to bring this, bring this joy to you. This is also the film where uh, Richard E. Grant not only met you know, a lot of these people for the first time, including Bruce Willis, but also legendary producer Joel Silver who um, is another big star in this chapter because uh, he's described as a human hurricane. <laughs> <laughs> Joel Silver is just one of those people who has just this force of personality, and there was pretty much nobody bigger in Hollywood in the early 90s than Joel Silver because he had just hit big with Bruce Willis and Die Hard and, and was just producing a string of hits. So he had more money than God. He He was collecting collecting Frank Lloyd Wright houses. Oh my God. Yeah. He had many. He just kept buying them and it's like, and like, like trading cards. And, and then, but when you, you know, get to that level, there's only a couple ways to keep score. There's a museum, uh, sort of kind of near Ann Arbor. Uh, the, the Domino pizza magnet. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh Yeah owns a bunch of Frank Lloyd Wright chairs and he won't sell them. Uh, but yeah, if you go to Domino Farms, there there's just sort of a museum on the grounds and they have a bunch of Frank Lloyd Wright chairs on display. Jeez. And, and that's, uh, that's just one of the ways you can keep score. Mm -hmm. It's like how uh, there were something like 11 or 12 miniguns sold to private collectors Mm -hmm. And they're legal. They've been grandfathered in. And the ammunition costs something like a buck fifty a bullet. Oh. And it, it fires them at the rate of thousands of bullets a minute. So mm -hmm. if you have one and if you want to blow thirty grand in an afternoon turning a car into dust, you can do that. But that's <laughs> that's just like uh, at a certain level, that's where that's how you keep score. Like how do I keep score? Well, 
I play a lot of city of villains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We plebeians have have yeah. different. <laughs> I, I mark weird of... movies in my letterboxed diary. <laughs> <laughs> There's this podcast I'm I'm on where we talk about uh, unloved movies and try to give them a little love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have no movies from 1901 listed, and it's driving me nuts. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get there. I start at, at 1894, and then there's a gap <laughs> right at 1901. <laughs> I mean, part of the problem is that uh, a lot of movies that were made in that era just no longer exist. They're gone. Today, but, you know, <laughs> they're gone. Just gone. But anyway, getting back to Frank Lloyd Wright houses and Joel Silver, I mean, to his credit, he was restoring them and all that. But oh, uh, the the chapter um, starts out with Richard E. Grant getting brought onto this project, and he goes, "Oh my God, this is this is a huge break because he had he had been doing you know little indie things, and uh, you know uh, he had just been in How to Succeed in Advertising, which is also a really good movie." And uh, so he was getting steady work and he's like, oh, my God, this thing's going to be huge. And um, he gets he gets pitched the the script and he meets the uh, the director and the writer, you know, Michael Lehman and Dan Waters. And, you know, they're just kind of these little low budget guys. They had just did Heathers together. And right. um, yeah, just off of Heathers. And so it was like this little indie darling movie. And they're like. Oh, we 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 want to do a tongue-in-cheek Bond film. We want to uh, make this a comedy. And uh, Richard E. Grant um, read the script, and it, he said it read fast and funny. It was tight and really great. Um, and the guys pitched the character to him as Blofeld on Mescaline. <laughs> I can see that. And he's like, cool. And so he was... <laughs> But as, uh, but, you know, then he gets to meet Joel Silver and he, and he's like, good Lord, this, this human being is unreal. Um, Cause Joel Silver talks a mile a minute and half the time he's screaming. Uh, he, he it, it's all about largesse and oh my God. And, uh, oh, we're taking a, a f- flight 10 minutes from now to go see Madonna play in Paris and all that st- sort of thing. Uh, but he, it, after as he's meeting Joel Silver, he goes, ah, the, the premiere for Die Harder is tonight. You want to go? Oh, th- uh, sh- uh, sure. And so he gets a pass to go to the Die Harder premiere with Sandra <laughs> Bernhard. And uh, so they uh, they wind up going as as a pair to this this premiere, and it hits big, the the everybody enjoys the premiere and uh it, it all the word on the street is going to make a bazillion dollars and it's like wow the, okay hudson, and joel silver is like hudson hawk is going to be even bigger next year yeah <laughs> and Criswell so, predicts so like wow this is going to be great and of course you know like the after party is at a frank lloyd wright house and and <laughs> And Richard E. Grant is just wandering around the house going, well, how the fuck did I get here? <laughs> so he's he's wandering around this Frank Lloyd Wright house with Bruce Willis's mom, who speaks German. Who's <laughs> this German immigrant, and, and he, she's like the one normal human being he can find at this party. <laughs> and uh, so it's just this big, surreal thing, and there, it, there's uh, all this scheduling madness and 
during this whole thing, Richard E. Grant gets a, a an offer to play the um, the evil uh, prince, prince uh, uh, sheriff of Nottingham. Oh, where is a prince? Oh, right. The 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 the, um, the Rickman role in yeah. Prince of Thieves. So he was originally talked to <sighs> going to be cast in that, but all the 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 scheduling of Hudson Hawk ran over, and he couldn't do it. Oh, right. Man. But oh, I mean, you know, I still kind love of Alan Rickman. Too. <laughs> so. <laughs> right? <laughs> so anyway, shooting behind, uh, shooting falls behind almost immediately <laughs> on Hudson Hawk. And this was the first glimmer of the, oh no. <laughs> so he winds up um, getting to Rome where they're going to start shooting with him and Sandra. And uh, Sandra has already been in Rome for like three weeks to, quote, bond with the dog, Bunny. <laughs> and this has not been going well sandra is not happy that she has been stuck in rome for like three weeks alone with this freaking dog and the dog is they found found this dog in italy and the trainer said this is a professionally trained movie dog it was not this dog is just a dog <laughs> and it is the worst trained dog and sandra hates the dog the dog won't go ch- catch balls the only thing this dog has to do is go catch a ball that santa throws <laughs> bunny ball ball this dog will not catch a ball <laughs> <laughs> and and also the dog is deaf <laughs> <laughs> At what point do you just decide to get another dog? <laughs> they didn't. I don't know why. I, I guess it was the perfect dog. I, it kind of, it kind of makes sense, really. The, the, <laughs> the reason you probably hate the dog in the movie and feel no, no regrets whatsoever when that thing goes out the window is because it's literally even the actor dog. The actual dog is the worst. <laughs> the worst dog ever. <laughs> that just makes it so much better (laughs) (laughs) they 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 could not shoot that dog for the life of they 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 tried to have it on set it would not perform like it would sit still until the cameras rolled they say action and the dog would just run off into the other room (laughs) the worst dog to work with and and finally they just gave up and gave it to second unit so it was just the worst (laughs) so yeah I'm so just picturing get... Bruce Willis sitting there as they're trying to get the dog to attack his groin. You can tell that dog is probably going for like a, a dog biscuit that has been shoved under Bruce Willis's ass. You, know? yes. <laughs> you can tell that dog is really going for that space in between his ass and the chair. <laughs> <laughs> ah, the magic of Hollywood. Uh, but anyway, so they start filming, and um, it turns out that having these two little indie guys, the the writer and the director, uh, trying to direct this particular cast in the presence of both Bruce Willis and Joel Silver, who are both 
enormous forces of personality. They just yeah. get steamrolled. So so it's like everybody has an opinion on every single scene. It, and it's like four four way opinions going on at all times. And of course, you know, Bruce Willis gets what he wants, Joe Silver gets what he wants, and it just it just becomes a mess. So there's rewrites after rewrites after rewrites. And and um so Richard E. Grant and Sandra Bernhard are starting to panic and eventually they, they wind up at dinner with James Coburn who has showed up and James Coburn is just, he's just a cool motherfucker no matter where he is. He just, he just sits back and he goes, this is a big budget movie with big budget egos. Enjoy. And that's all he says about it. <laughs> and where you go, all right, all right. You, James Coburn is a sage, the sage that we all needed. This is great. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, he'd have been making movies for about 40 years at that point. What what could he not have seen? You know? Yeah. Right. Put yeah. him in yeah. the dozen. Put him in the Magnificent Seven watching uh, Yul Brynner and Steve McQueen hate each other for the entire shoot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, Say your lines, hit your marks, collect your paycheck. <laughs> yeah, he he was just cool customer. <laughs> and you know, by this time, the um the female uh, co star has been recast like four times. And then finally, after after filming it starts, Andy McDowell has arrived to save the day, and she's like, "What the hell is going on here? <laughs> Why am I here?" <laughs> uh and then uh they they do a whole bunch of shooting in Rome. They wind up there's this building you see it a lot in movies. It's the one the big white building with all the arches and the statues along the bottom. Um it's also in Julie Tamor's um Titus. Oh with yeah. Anthony Hopkins. You're right. Yeah. Um I think it's like Mussolini's headquarters or something. It, it's like Italian fascist architecture that still exists today. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they're they're in front of this. Uh, they're filming in front of this giant building, and um, they're you know there's location after location. You know they're filming the scenes around the Colosseum and all this, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, we're shifting shooting to Budapest. Oh. Uh. <laughs> to film the rest of the uh, Italian scenes. Oh, okay. Prague is very Italian. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so the shoot moves to Budapest. Um, pretty much on the day that Richard E. Grant's contract was supposed to end. It goes for another month longer there in budapest and keep in mind this is like 1990 this is this is like seconds after the the iron curtain has fallen um and everything everything in budapest is gray um every the populace has not quite realize that they can actually leave and go other places um the, all of the the food is the sort of thing you'd expect from an eastern bloc country that has no oh, wealth More at boiled all things. yeah boiled cabbage pretty much 24 7 and um <laughs> there they are in budapest and it it just that you just get this the sense that the whole thing finishing out 
the shoot was just this Sisyphean effort. Just it just dragged on and on, and it just got more and more painful. And every time they say it's the last day. <laughs> It keeps. Oh, no, we're going to have to shoot tomorrow. Only a half day. It's thirty six hours later. No, no, no. Another half day tomorrow. And it's like, just Oof. let me go home. You wouldn't mind suffering for your art if the art was something other than this. Yeah. Apparently, like on one of the last days, the the final stuff that was left was the kind of the the big final uh, battle in the workshop with the 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 mirror widget thing with the crystal and all that. And then the right. immolation and gold. Um, apparently on one of the last days, Sandra Bernhardt, she's in on that, that riser with the microphone and given her final speech that she's in that setup and she just loses it. <laughs> she just goes into just screaming, shouting match against the world <laughs> on this on this platform. She is having no more of it. And like Bruce Willis has to go over there and like hug her and go, it's okay. We'll make it. <laughs> Eventually okay. we will stop doing this. Eventually this movie will be done. That that might explain why her death in particular felt so abrupt. Yeah. <laughs> she yes. would have no more well they changed they changed that scene like five four or five times while they were filming the movie uh it was going to happen the kremlin it was going to happen the workshop it was going to be in new york it was going to like it isn't just like minor rewrites they changed that final scene so many times and then the kill off danny aiello in the the limousine and then, like, the day after, he's just talking on set, like, wouldn't it be great if I was still alive at the end of the movie? <laughs> and that's how that scene happens. <laughs> and it's brilliant. It is kind oh, of yeah. brilliant. <laughs> that's, that's just as cartoony as the movie is at its best. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I'm surprised it worked. But, uh, uh, yeah. I can't he remember where... <laughs> where I'd I'd seen this, but apparently they were going to have one of the Mario brothers kick down the door right before the the CIA double botch and that bomb goes off. Uh -huh. Like like he'd survived the limo or the ambulance crash and got his revenge, but he got there just in time to get blown up. <laughs> Like, that would have been insane, but I have the feeling that they just, they couldn't film it at that point, because they were already so far over schedule, and trying to get any of the actors, even if it was just Frank Stallone, was impossible. Mm -hmm. It was... <laughs> they, they spent so much budget, they couldn't even get Frank Stallone back. <laughs> <laughs> so do, oh, actors get, do, do actors get reimbursed for, like extensions like this or is it just you signed the contract you're getting the money we paid you suck it up i i think it depends on the deal mm. it, it, de it it depends on what your uh your agent has scored for you so i i don't he he didn't discuss payment in the <laughs> <laughs> he is a gentleman a gentleman never tells i mean i mean it, he he 
this is a guy who was used to indie budgets anyway, so whatever they gave him was probably pretty decent on his scale. <laughs> he wasn't going to um, complain. <laughs> he wasn't going to sneeze at that. I mean, and, you know, he's a, he's a professional British actor. Actually, he's uh, South African. But anyway, he's, he's, a, he's a professional <laughs> actor with a British, British-ish accent, and uh, therefore he will, he will not phone it in. <laughs> he will give his all no matter what shit you have cast him in. <laughs> the Michael Caine effect. Thank you. Yep. <laughs> oh, certainly. And uh oh, here's another little tidbit you guys will like. Uh David Caruso, who is wonderful in oh, the like, so good. 20 seconds he appears on screen. Mm-hmm. He went method. <laughs> oh my god. He, he he didn't talk on set. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. And, but, but eventually, by the time they got into Budapest and and the, the the shooting was dragging along, even he snapped and he just started talking one day and started having opinions on things. And apparently later that day, he went into Richard E. Grant's studio or uh, uh, green room, dressing room, and uh, he came in. It's like, I get the feeling that you don't like me, like me. You don't talk to me. And then it's like. But you weren't talking the entire time you were on set. What the hell? (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So it it was just absolute madness. (laughs) Oh, my God. So, so dear listeners, I do highly recommend the book With Nails by Richard E. Grant, (laughs) because this was merely one chapter in this amazing odyssey through filmmaking. Uh, He talks about uh, making Dracula with... um, uh, that, uh, with Francis Ford Coppola, Lizanne oh, Rice's Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, LA stories and Withnail and I. The stuff on Withnail and I is great. Um, working with Altman on Preda Porter and The Player, and just pretty much everything he makes through the early nineties is it's I just great. Really it's a hope lot of he fun. continues putting out books of these because I want to know. I want to know about the filming of Can You Ever Forgive Me? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I finally caught that this weekend, and it is so good. So good. (laughs) (laughs) It is really, really good. (sighs) So, yeah. I think I covered just about everything I could possibly say about Hudson Hawk. Well, I I did. Although, although I I don't think you guys covered this. One of my favorite gags in the movie is when he asks for ketchup at the restaurant, and the the waiter brings it out in like one of those champagne buckets with the ice in it. Yes. Yeah. I. That (laughs) was neat. That was that that was beautiful. That was nicely surreal. I I I did a little bit of research for this for after after you know recording the main episode I watched part of a playthrough of the Nintendo game of Hudson Hawk There was a Nintendo game There was there a tie was a Nintendo a, game A giant headed Bruce Willis sprite has to leap around it it was kind of a Mega Man platformer looking <laughs> thing kind of a Super Mario platformer looking thing but I, it looks so precise that if I had ever played that game, I would have vetoed watching the movie. <laughs> like, there would have been a 32-year grudge. Hey, I want to do Hudson Hawk. Well, you can't. 
<laughs> I, I hear they did. I, I hear they blew the budget making that game because of all the reshoots to hide the ball. Yeah, patch. to make the sprite yeah. the, the sprite's, the sprites yeah. giant bug head taller. Yeah. I <laughs> yeah. It just it you know licensed games. Uh, I had a friend actually demand to get his rental fee back for some Lord of the Rings PlayStation game. Wow. Like he brought it back the same day and just said, this is so bad. I want my money back. Ordinarily, I would never do this, but I didn't know they could, they could like engrave computer code on poop and, and put it that thin <laughs> to put it on the disc. I want my money back. And they did refund his money. <laughs> They're like, yeah, fair. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Having having played this game, I will say yes. Here is your two dollars. You you know what I did enjoy was the Atari uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark game, which was one of the first Ooh. games I ever played that had an actual end. Oh. like you get to the Ark and you win, and then you can try Yay! it again Yay! for a higher score. And it's like, wow. That's novel. <laughs> Do you remember the 2600 Star Wars game where it was just the the walkers versus snow speeders on Hoth? Oh, yeah. Because the, the version of the Star Wars theme you get during the power-up was awesome. <laughs> I feel like somewhere I... out there, there has to be a podcast about video game t movie tie-ins. And I oh, would, there is, there and I can't be. remember the name of it. I would yes, love to is. subscribe. <laughs> I uh, And while this is very tangentially connected to that, uh, <laughs> I found a copy of the Atari 2600 Megaforce game at, <laughs> at a used bookstore, and I bought it and gave it away at B-Fest. And the people, the, the college students doing the giveaway had absolutely no idea what it was <laughs> like they picked it up and they could tell it was plastic and had megaforce on it but like is is this an eight track is this <laughs> is this a betamax like they just they had is, is no this a butterfly? idea what it was <laughs> yes and and i believe your friend kelvin is the one who went home with it Yes, I believe you might be correct on that one. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it just I, I it would have been easier to just hand it to him if I'd known that's how it was gonna go. But but we have what, to what do I the really should do is next time there's a B fest five years from now or whenever it happens, um what I should do until then is just haunt eBay and buy up every single copy of the E. T. Atari game. Oh. Yes. <laughs> Because I, you can usually get them for like a buck. <laughs> if that. If that. Free shipping, please take this. No, everybody gets one. Yay! No, that would be fantastic. <laughs> uh, I did actually... I, I did. The, the first one of those I bought, I, I think I got drunk one night while watching a movie and then after I had an eBay buying spree that I didn't entirely remember and then like... Oh, a couple weeks later, packages started arriving, and one of them was the E.T. game, wow. that little gray cartridge. Oh, my God. <laughs> my uh, Truth or Dare uh, VHS cover art t-shirt just arrived today. I bought myself a little uh, unspecified winter observance present, and it arrived. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Uh, 
So, you know, if if you want that sort of thing, it is available. Oh, yeah. Well, we have caught the hawk. and We have not caught COVID. So I consider this a success. I do, too. Yes. <laughs> Thank you High for five, joining everybody. us. This was a lovely discussion. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much for having me back. Uh, always great to hear your voices, it's, especially now that I've been trapped at home for a year. <laughs> I hope next year you get to get out of the house. <laughs> I'd really like that. Your, your resolution like that for 2021 is just take a walk around the block. <laughs> <laughs> Until then, this episode is coming from inside your house. <laughs> In 3D. <laughs> But not in stereo. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're retro and we're in mono. <laughs> mm.